let's get into the message. This is um, our last week in the series, Back to Basics, and we've been asking every week in this series sort of what is, what is the most basic expression of the Christian life, right? What, how do we get back to the, the blocking and tackling of Christianity? And also note, after this service, you still have time to adjust your fantasy football lineup, um, but don't do it during the service. You've got time. You're welcome for the reminder. Um, and anyway, so yeah, how do we get back to just the, the core fundamentals of what it is to follow Jesus? And so we've been looking at the life of Jesus and saying, what is it that he did? How do we do that? What does he command us to do as people who say we follow him? And, and there's lots of things that Jesus did, but they all sort of fit under the umbrella of discipleship, of making disciples. And so if we were to say, what is the most basic fundamental of following Jesus? And that is, it's being a disciple of Jesus, right? And, and we've used this definition Week in, week out, right? Are we starting to pick up on the definition of a disciple? Do we remember there are three things? A disciple is someone who is awesome, following Jesus, right? <laughs> Do we remember this at all? Head nods or shakes. At least if you're clueless, it's helpful to know it. Uh, following Jesus. Two, someone who is being changed by Jesus. And third, someone who is on mission with Jesus. There you go. You just needed that little push. Um, so, and that comes from Matthew four nineteen, where Jesus invites some of his first disciples and says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Right? Come follow me, someone who's following, and I will make or change or transform someone who is being changed into fishers of men, fishers of people. I will teach you to do what I am doing. I will bring you on mission with me. And so that's a disciple, and a disciple is all of those things, right? It's not pick and choose. We just sort of take one and and leave the other two. We we don't like two-thirds of it and say we're in. Like, that is what a disciple does. And so we've been diving a little bit deeper every week the last few weeks in saying, what do each of those mean? And so we've talked about what what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be someone who's following Jesus? What does it mean to be someone who is being changed by Jesus. And this week, we're going to go into what does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? And I'm excited because I think this is the one that we don't get the most. This is the one that's most confusing. This is the piece that's missing in a lot of our puzzles. What does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? Right? And I think a great place to start is to ask, what is the mission of Jesus? Right? What, what is the mission that we're supposed to be on mission with? And an easy place to to start the conversation is a passage that is known in Christian circles as the Great Commission, right? If we want to find out what's the mission, the Great Commission would probably be a great place to start with asking, like, what is that and what's it about? So the Great Commission, if you're not familiar, is a, a passage that's at the end of the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples, and he records his, his life and his experience of following Jesus as his disciple. And so Matthew 28 is where we'll be at verse 18. That's at the very, very end, right? It's the last, like, few words that Matthew writes of his account of Jesus' life. And so in Matthew 28, Jesus has already risen from the dead, right? He has shown he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that the scriptures told about for centuries. He is the dude. He's the king. Right? He has conquered death. Everything submits to him. And these are his parting words before he goes back to his father in heaven. He's, ready, he's getting ready to leave his disciples on earth. And this, this is his parting wisdom, his parting charge to the disciples. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, there's a good chance that you've heard that passage before. Right? And maybe you haven't, and that's fine. You're not like behind the curve here. But, but maybe there's a really good chance that if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this passage, and you've, maybe you've heard this passage preached on like 20 times. And, and while we're really familiar with it, a lot of us, remember we said a couple weeks ago, some of the things that we think we're most familiar with are some of the things that we understand the least. And it's worth taking another look and trying to get a different perspective. And if we can see some things through a different lens, it might help us understand this in a completely different way. And so one of the things that that a lot of times when we hear this passage, this idea that we walk away with is that this is a passage of Scripture that is about missions and is written to missionaries. Right? Because Jesus says, go to all nations. Right? And so let me say, this is a passage about missions. Jesus is saying, go to all nations. And that word that he's using Nations is the Greek word ethne, which is where we get ethnic group, right? So, so he's saying not just go to all political boundary nations, like not just find things on a map and find everything within a line and make sure that you've checked off every one of them. He's saying go to every individual group of people on this planet that have their own culture, identity, language, shared beliefs, values. Go to all of them, right? That's the command that's given here, and that does fit missions. That is something that that is important to missions. There are still thousands of ethnic groups on our planet today that do not know the good news of Jesus. And that's a problem. We shouldn't be okay with that, right? That's something that we should be passionate about. And if we're going to take Jesus and follow him and take his word seriously, then, then we should care about that. That should influence how we view the world and our role in it and what the global church should be doing. But this is not just a passage about missions to missionaries. Because the reality is for us today, we live in a global world that is more connected than at any point in history. And and so every nation is not just faraway places. Every nation is across the street from you. It's at your doctor's office. It's at work with you. Every nation is on sports teams with your kids. Every nation is in classes with you at college. Right? The world has come to us. And so what Jesus is saying is to this group of Jewish boys who all had a similar ethnic heritage and worldview, he's saying, go to everyone. This is not a message just for you. This is a message for all people, regardless of your geography, of your skin tone, or of your heritage. This is a message for all people. This is a passage about missions. But it is not a passage that is only about missions. Because what we miss when we think that this is just for missionaries or just about things that are happening far away is we miss what the real heart of this passage is. We read what the central theme of this passage was. Jesus said, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and get a whole bunch of people to come to church. No, that's, that's not what your version says. That's kind of how we view it, though, right? That's what we think the mission of God is. That's what we think our our role is in that mission, right? We just need to get people to come to church. 
And if we can get people involved in church, we are on mission with Jesus. And so my role every day is to, is to go and invite people to church and try and get them to do church activities and things and, and manage their sin better. But that's not what Jesus says. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples. That's the command. Everything else is a supportive element to that command. Right? Go to do what? Make disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Those are elements of making disciples. And those are important, right? Baptism is where we get to say publicly, I have followed, I have decided to follow Jesus. Obeying everything that Jesus commanded. That's, that's evidence that my life is being changed by Jesus, following, changing. But, but the central command that Jesus is giving is to make disciples. Now, part of that is teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded, and he's just commanded to make disciples. So if you can follow me there, the logic is Jesus has just said, go make disciples who are going to make disciples. That is the mission of Jesus. That's the mission of his church, to be disciples who are making disciples, right? That's God's plan for reaching the world, and there is no plan B. Really, if you look at it, it, you could say it's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that the mission has a church, right? We are to make disciples, and the church is the avenue through which we find community to make disciples. But that's the mission, And maybe for for some of us, that's different than what we've heard or what we thought, or or maybe that was somewhere on the peripheral, but like you can kind of go with it. Really, it shouldn't be surprising at all. If we look at the life of Jesus, if we look at the early church, it shouldn't be surprising at all that the plan is to be disciples who make disciples. Right? The invitation that Jesus gave, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He's saying, come follow me and I will teach you to do what I do. I will disciple you in my way. Come follow me and I will send you out. Right? That's, that's not the only time, though, that Jesus invited people to follow him or to send them out. Right? Matthew 28 is not the only time that Jesus sent people out. If you look uh, throughout the Gospels, and for the sake of time, we're not going to read every verse, but, but if you go in Luke chapter 9, the first six verses, you see Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. He tells them to go, do what we have been doing, proclaim the news of the kingdom of God. And they go, and they do it, and they come back, and they tell Jesus, oh man, you wouldn't believe what happened, and then they report back, and then Jesus gives them some coaching, and he does some more discipleship, and then in Luke chapter 10, do you know what Jesus does? He sends out 72 followers. He sends them out again. Same instructions, go do what we've been doing. And they go and they come back and they report to him. They said, these are the things that happened. And and that's how Jesus does ministry. Those aren't the only times that Jesus sends people out. Part of following Jesus is being sent out by Jesus. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is making disciples. It always has been. Right? It's not just Jesus. This is a model that Jesus demonstrated that his disciples took seriously, that was lived out by the early church. If we look at Paul, right? Paul writes a letter to his disciple, Timothy, 
And in the second letter that we have of Paul writing to Timothy, in the second chapter, there, there's a verse, uh, verse 2 says, And the things you, Timothy, have heard me, Paul, say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. If you can follow the little family tree that's being set up there, you got Paul, who has discipled Timothy, and he's saying, take what I have given you and teach that to somebody else, disciple somebody else. And do it in a way that they can give that to other people. Right? So you have four generations in in that one sentence of what Paul is laying out for Timothy. It wasn't just like an idea Jesus had. It was something that was lived out by the early church. So we got it, right? We're supposed to make disciples. But then there's this like internal thing that that I know a bunch of you have going off in your heads right now that is, "But, but I can't make disciples. Um, that's, that's not me. And if that's where you're at, the first thing I want to say to you is I'm sorry. Um, as, as a pastor, as a leader in the church, I really want to say I'm sorry that your first reaction to being told that, that you're supposed to make disciples is that you can't. Because it's people like me that have put that in your heads and allowed you to think that. It's not from Jesus. It's not a biblical idea that you can't make disciples. Everything in the Bible seems to point to the opposite. But, but somewhere along the way, right, and it didn't start with me, I still get to claim that I'm kind of young. And, um, and, and I'll, own, I'll own my share in it. But for a long time, we as leaders in the church have, have sort of cast this idea that, that we're the ones who make disciples, And everybody else's job is just to get people to come to church. That's not true. That's not biblical. I I firmly believe that every person has the capacity to make disciples. That you have the potential to make disciples. And yes, even you. And I think Jesus' disciples are a great proof that you do have what it takes to be a disciple who can make disciples. Right, and then, okay, so beyond that, there's all the other red flags that start popping up, right? You're way too busy. Your kids have a million things going on. You work a ton. You, you don't have, like, a group of people following you around saying, man, I wish you would disciple me. Like, and so it's like, you think to yourself, like, I, how, I don't even know that's not possible right now. <laughs> and I don't want to even begin to say that those aren't all valid things. I would start by saying, maybe if you could sort of change your perspective on some of those things that you rattle off as reasons you can't make disciples, you'd find yourself positioned to make all sorts of disciples, right? Busyness is real. It's a problem. It's a subject for another sermon. What if your calendar was already full of opportunities to make disciples? What if the way you approached the things that you do Differently, with intentionality, with the mindset that I can make disciples. Right? All of a sudden, the, the soccer team, those are, those are people that could be discipled. Your coworkers, your family members. Right? You think, I don't have people in my life that, that want to be discipled by me. I tell you, mom and dad, you have the most important disciples you will ever make living with you. 
You've got proximity to them. You've got relationship with them. You've got a voice in their life. You have everything you need to disciple them. The relationships that you have, the activities that you go to, your sphere of influence is full of opportunities to make disciples. And I firmly believe that you can make disciples, right? And and I know you're thinking, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the skills, I'm not a pastor, they're going to ask me questions that like I don't know how to answer. And, And what I would tell you is that even if that's your situation, you do not have to be a ninja master disciple maker in order to make disciples, right? Here's an example. I think this illustrates it. This is Right, that's Mama Duck with babies behind her, and some of you are so happy that I put up pictures of animals, and I, I won't do that much. Um, so that is that's Mom, right? We've all seen this picture, and Mom knows where she's going. She knows what's going on. The ducklings, they're following. Here, here's what I want you to notice in this picture that somebody pointed out to me years ago, and that is that those two ducklings up at the front, they are leading the other ducks. Right? Those front ducklings, they are leading the ducklings behind them. What do those ducklings know that the others don't? They know two steps. But that's enough for them to be helpful to the ducks behind them. Right? They, they have no idea everything that mom knows. They do know that there's a stick right there and they can chirp and show the one behind them that you don't want to trip on that. They do know there's, there's a puddle that we need to like walk around. And again, they're not really, really far ahead. They just know a little bit more and that little bit more is valuable to the ones behind them. And so I would say to you that you don't have to be a pastor to disciple someone. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have an answer to every question to be someone who can disciple someone else. You just need to know one or two steps more. Those are some of my favorite people to follow, right? The people that say, I don't have this figured out. I don't know everything, but I have learned a few things, and what I've learned, I'll give to you. Right? That's what a life group is, right? We aren't setting life groups up to be places where there is the master teacher and then all of the students, Right? These are groups that share life where we say, I don't have this all figured out. What I am trying to do is pursue Jesus, to be changed by him to find out where I can be on mission with him and and I need people to do it with me. And so together we're gonna look at the word of God. We're gonna ask Jesus, what does he say about this? And then we're gonna figure out how we live that and we're gonna take one more step. You can make disciples. I promise you. And and some of you, Jeff has made the comment that some of you are in on disciple-making retirement. And you need to come out of retirement. And I would say amen to that. Right? And maybe you're not a master teacher. That's okay. I don't need master teachers. I need people who are passionately following Jesus and want to see the lives of others changed by Jesus. And maybe you don't have everything, but you have something, and that something is valuable to the kingdom of God. It's valuable to City Church. It's valuable to me. We would love to use it. And so if you know you need to get in the game and you need to be making disciples because you're not, email me, dustin at citychurchevv.com.
please, I would love to talk to you. And, and maybe it's not leading a life group right at this moment, but it's something. And, and we, need, we need to figure out how we get you off the sidelines and into the game. You should be making disciples. Why? I mean, the first, first and easy answer is Jesus commanded it, right? If that's not, like Jesus said, you should do this. Go, make disciples, okay? And if that's not enough to, like, get you in, um, I would also tell you that if you are not making disciples, you are missing out on the single greatest joy you can have in following Jesus. And I know that sounds like a big statement, but it's true. The single greatest joy that you can have in following Jesus is leading others to follow Jesus. Right? And, and again, I look to the life of Jesus to start that belief. Right? In Luke 10, right? Jesus has sent them out in Luke 9. They come back, they debrief, do more training. He sends out 72 in chapter 10. Those 72 come back to him and they report and they tell all the things they did and they're full of joy and they're talking to Jesus. And, and in verse, verse 21, it says, At that time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Right? In my readings of the Gospels, I don't see another instance where where the actions of people bring Jesus joy. Jesus is amazed by people. Jesus is impressed by people. Jesus is, is touched by people, but nowhere else does it say that Jesus is filled with joy. And it happens right in the middle. These guys are telling Jesus all the things that they did in following him, and he has to like take a time out. And he turns around and he just says, Dad, thank you. Thank you that I got to see this. Thank you that this is the plan. And I know that you were really, really happy that this happened. Do you have anything in your life that makes you just want to stop in the middle of someone talking and like turn around and thank God? It's not just Jesus, Paul, right? Paul is is maybe one of the most society, world-shaping individuals that has ever lived. He is the most prolific church planner, certainly in the ancient world. Right? The reason that we have worldwide Christianity is, is largely in thanks to this guy, Paul. And Paul had, had disciples that traveled with him that he did ministry with. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are writing a letter to the church in the city of Thessalonica. Right? This is a church that they have planted, that they discipled, that they have watched grow. And, and they've been prevented from getting back to this city because they've been in prison and shipwrecked and beaten and all sorts of fun things that Paul and his friends had happened to them. And Paul's writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica. And in chapter 2, he says, in verse 19, he says, For what is our, Paul, Timothy, Silas, our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Right, I just want, I want you to picture that. If you're Paul, you have done everything for Jesus, right? There's a whole lot of things you could point out in your life that you could say, look what I did. Are you proud of me? 
And Paul says that, that when he stands in front of Jesus, the thing that he is most excited to say, look at that. It's this group of disciples. This group of disciples that got it. That's, that's what he's most proud of. And I'll tell you, as, as someone who has discipled people over the years, I know it. There is no greater joy in life than seeing spiritual children and grandchildren get it. Right? right? To meet someone who has been discipled by one of your disciples is one of the most incredible privileges you will ever have. To get an email from, from a, a former disciple's um, parent who just wanted to brag and let you know that you were a part of their life because that, I'll just explain it. One of my disciples um, went away to college, was student teaching, coached a basketball team. One of the moms of the kids on that team emailed his mom and said, I want to thank you for the son that you raised and the way that he has invested in my son's life. He's a different kid than he was three months ago. And it's totally because of your son. Thank you for raising a son that wants to bring my son to church with him. And to take him to tour a college campus. And give him a vision of something that he didn't know was possible six months ago. I get, I get told by this mom like, hey... You need to read this email, not so that you can think I'm a really good mom, but because you had a role in this. There is no greater joy. If you are not making disciples, you're missing out on everything that God has for you. You're missing out on on the life that Jesus says is life to the full. Because you are inviting people to live in the kingdom and you're inviting people to live in a world that is different. You're inviting people to life change. So you should be making disciples. Right? The command that's given by Jesus, it is, it is a big command. It's, it's an intense, it's an intimidating command. I get it. But it's possible. It's something that he has declared, that he has has given his blessing on, that he has said will come to fruition, and I believe what Jesus says is true. And I see that in in light of this context here at City Church, where where we have another um, mission that is really hard. That's that's the vision statement that's there on the wall. Right? That, That vision statement, like it haunts me. And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's intimidating. And it's a big idea that we bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to an entire city and beyond. Right? In the first few months that I was here, when I would meet with people and ask them, you know, what do you, what do you like about City Church? What do you think? Where, where do we need to grow? And, and easily, hands down, number one statement slash question I got was, so that vision statement on the wall... What are we doing about that? Because that's a big old thing. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know how to see, like, where, where are we doing that? 
And the way that that's asked is correct, but maybe not with the right intention. Right? What are we doing about that? Because if the goal is to just get a bunch of people to church so that we can get them put into programs, that ain't going to happen. I've done the math. All of Evansville will not fit in here. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was tough for a pastor, but, but really. And, and churches have gotten, we can add a whole bunch of services. All of Evansville is still not going to fit in here. And churches have gotten really creative with trying to reach as many people as possible within their, their doors. And, and, and there are all sorts of neat solutions, but we're still not going to fit all of Evansville into city church. But if we are disciples who are making disciples, city church will infiltrate all of Evansville. And they can't stop it. In your families, in your friendships, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your workplaces, if you are going as someone who is pursuing Jesus, following him, having your life transformed by him, and inviting others intentionally to live a different life, our city will be transformed. God's plan for reaching the world, for transforming the world, is disciples who make disciples. Transforming the city of Evansville is no different. We don't need a bunch of programs or things that have city church's name all over. What we need are disciples who have Jesus' name all over them going out into the world and inviting people to live in the kingdom now. You are invited to be a disciple of Jesus. Even you. He has invited everyone to be a disciple, to follow him, to learn his way, to have a relationship at all costs. He would do anything for you to know that that invitation was for you. He would even die on a cross. He did. And it is at the cross of Jesus that every reason you shouldn't make disciples goes away. Right, Every excuse for why you don't belong, why you're not fit for the work, why, why you're not cut out for that, it goes away. Because at the cross, Jesus said, I know all the reasons that you don't work. And I'm taking care of them. And so Jesus invites you to be a disciple. He invites you to follow him, to be changed by him, and to invite others to follow him as well. To invite others to the greatest mission ever. To invite others to joy and purpose and hope and passion that they can't find anywhere else. And that journey starts with saying that you want to follow Jesus. And so if, if you never said that, I think you should. Not because I get anything out of it. I just really believe his way is the best way. His way is the only way that really addresses sin. His way is the only way that really offers hope. And if you don't have that, you should. Because every obstacle has been torn down. 
maybe you've been in church for a long time and you need to start being a disciple that is all three things that a disciple is, right? And maybe this this third thing, this being on mission with Jesus is something that's been on the back burner. You're not really sure. You need to take a step and say, God, I want to be on board. I don't want to be on the sidelines anymore. I want everything you have. So whatever your step is, I think you should take it today. You're invited. You're always invited. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being a God who invites people like us to play. Thank you for for giving us the invitation to new life, to true, abundant life. Lord, thank you for for allowing silly people like us to play a role in your kingdom. Jesus, I pray for anyone in the room who's who's not said yes, who's not said, I want to be a part of, of your life, of your mission, of your future. I pray that they would have the courage to say yes. And Jesus, I pray for anybody that's been, been on the sidelines. God, may we get in the game because there's too much cool stuff happening to miss. Jesus, would you transform our world? Would you use us to bring your kingdom here like it is in heaven? May you transform us. May you transform our neighbors, our city, our world. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.